Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. So, what's in a title? If you look at the title that we've chosen for, for the men's retreat and my message today, I looked back four years ago in a message that I gave, and I made a comment that I couldn't believe the amount of evil and how it was escalating out of control. And as I looked across the congregation, everybody was shaking their head and can't believe it's gotten this bad. Last year at about this time, I gave another message and said, I can't believe it's actually hockey stick right before the election on just how much evil and the escalation that's going on in this world. It's like God's morals went out the window and we're, we're in a battle. Well, lo and behold, here we are today, a year later, and it just seems that things have totally gone off the rails. And um, I know we all struggled through this, right? It was 18 months of our routines changed. You know, for me, I had to travel a lot typically and be in front of customers, and that was my daily routine, and then I'd be home on the ranch. Well, that routine changed where I was now home 24 by 7, and rather than being in front of customers, I was now doing nothing but Zoom meetings. Uh, and it, it'll wear on your soul. I had gotten to a point that I was like asking God, God, what's going on? You know, I, depression is a serious thing and I felt like I was getting depressed. After about a week and talking with Stacy, I knew I had to double down. I doubled down on my quiet time. I dusted off some of my rusty same old prayers and changed those to much simpler prayers and learn to just be quiet and ask God what's going on. And if we look for a pure definition of what our soul actually is, the basic definition is it's our mind, or it's how we're wired, so to speak. It comes with our emotions, and it comes with our free will. But to put it back in biblical context, our soul, created by God, is who we are. It's our innermost being, which as followers of Yeshua is meant for us to be led by his Holy Spirit. And the word soul actually appears in the scriptures 285 times. The Hebrew word for soul is nephesh. Let's look at on the overhead on 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We see that the scriptures tell us, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and your soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Messiah Yeshua. When I looked at some further examples, I went to look uh, how David wrote in his Psalms. Psalms 19 verse seven tells us, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And this next Psalm is our key verse for today. Psalm 23.3, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. This is a great prayer. I've added this to my morning prayer, right? This is a great prayer for all of us just to be quiet and really just ask God for what he needs me to do today that, and it's his will that, that needs to be done. Now our soul can be spirit-led or we can have a very self-centered approach to our life. Or as I think many believers, if they're honest with themselves, 
are somewhere in between, which is a path that doesn't lead to peace. As believers, we all need to assess the level of unbelief in our hearts and what might be holding us back from this personal relationship that Yeshua calls us to. Yeshua gives us very specific instructions. We see this in Deuteronomy, and then we see Yeshua repeat this on uh, Matthew 22. We'll put this up on the overhead. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. When I read that, it seems Yeshua is pretty crystal clear here. And you have to ask yourself some difficult questions, and you need to even ask Yeshua some difficult questions. We should not be afraid to ask Yeshua any question in our prayer time. Scripture tells us we often ask for the wrong things in prayer. We need to ask for wisdom. We need to ask for help. We need to ask for direction, understanding that it is God's will that will be done. And most importantly, when we're asking, which is hard for me sometimes, is we just need to be still. So I ask this today, how do we focus the love for God when there's so much evil and hatred in this world today? I've been praying and asking God to help me in this area. Does God really love me? His word says that he most certainly does, and he loves all you too. We just need to listen and trust only in him. Are we as followers of Yeshua truly answering this call, the greatest commandment? Is there anything causing us to stumble in loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind? I had to ask myself that. Do I really know what it is to love God with all my heart? I think so. But I also feel it's not where it should be. I thought about what does it really look like? Can I draw upon a comparison that I can look at to test my relationship with Shua? How about my own loved ones? I know I love my wife, Stacy. She knows the good, the bad. She knows my bad habits. But most importantly, she knows my heart. Yes, with all my soul. Do I love her with all my heart? I certainly do. Do I love her with all my soul? Well, we are a team. We truly operate as a team. So one might say we're soulmates, till death do us part. So I can check that one. But what about with all my mind? Seems like a difficult part of this verse to answer. There's certainly a lot of stuff in our minds. For me, I have lifelong memories like you do. I've had my education, got my skills, I got my creative side, I got my very analytical side. I've got my weird sense of humor, I've got my thoughts, my desires, a couple of rocks, and a few loose screws. <laughs> but I think we all have the ones that we don't like to revisit. These are often the ones that Satan uses against us to block us from this intimate relationship with Yeshua. They are our disappointments, they are our heartbreaks, they are our emotional scars, wounds that he likes to reopen and poke at, past sins 
and current sins. You ever deal with people that once they make up their mind, it seems impossible to change their mind? Just think of all the anti-God and liberals that have opposing opinions and positions. Ever try to change their minds? Ever ask, how do people get so stubborn with their views? There's hope. A strong focus on God's word and the Holy Spirit can certainly change anyone's heart and anyone's mind. We just need to believe. But to refocus on this verse, I think of it this way. Am I ever going to change my mind as it pertains to loving my wife? I can never foresee that happening. When I think about making major life decisions, and we all do this, but we do it together. So yes, I believe I can say I love her with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. This is the kind of love relationship Yeshua calls us to have with him. A deep, personal, and most importantly, daily relationship with him. And he longs for his sheep to hear his voice, to trust him. As the loving father that he is, and as life goes on, time is running short. We need him to restore our souls. So I ask this, what holds us back from fully experiencing this glorious relationship for Yeshua? This is the relationship that he so desperately wants us to, as he prepares us for the wedding supper with the lamb. Satan, however, the great deceiver, will use every opening to press doubt into your mind. The disciples themselves prayed, Lord, help me with my unbelief. To realize the spiritual battle that we're in, I truly imagine what was going on here with Peter. He walked with the Lord firsthand. He witnessed dozens of miracles. He witnessed Yeshua walking on water. He witnessed Yeshua calm the seas with a word. But when times got difficult, we see what happened with Peter in Matthew 26, or yes, Matthew 26. It says, now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a slave woman came to him and said, you too were with Yeshua the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another slave woman saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Yeshua of, of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little bit later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, you really are one of them as well, since we, even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear. I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the statement that Yeshua had made. Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. But we see the postscript to this in John 21, uh, when this trial that Peter went through, we, we read this in the scriptures. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Yeshua said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him yet a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was so hurt. He had said to, he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Yeshua said to him, tend my sheep. In my study Bible, it had this added subheading to the next verse. It said, our times are in his hand. And we see in verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, he said this indicating what kind of death he would, that would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. It's our hearts and it's our minds we must guard and focus. Ever hear of someone described as having too much baggage? Baggage in this sense is made up of emotional scars, bad decisions, bad memories, past sinful nature, etc. What really hit home as I was studying this is we have to gain an understanding of our own emotional scars and wounded hearts. And we all have them. And they come to us in a variety of different scars. If I were to ask any one of you to come up here and share your testimony, what do you think of? Sometimes we hear a short testimony how God moved in miraculous ways in our lives. And we should give praise to God and share how God is working more often than we do. But usually, when we think of our testimony, we think of that decision point in our lives when we realize we need God's grace, we need the love of God in our lives, we need him to pour out his spirit on us so we can live a holy life, focusing on all of God's promises for his people, an everlasting life filled with peace and the glory of eternity in his presence awaiting for his return as he brings forth a new heaven and earth. So I, wanna, I want to ask you about your own personal testimony. And only the Lord truly knows where you are in regards to your walk today. Yeshua followers, or, or in a general term, messianic or the Christian life, usually almost always has a pattern. It starts off with belief. Surely there has to be a God. Then, as you study God's word, typically, eventually, the Holy Spirit convicts you to repent, to be reborn, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to live a Spirit-led life, ending your earthly sinful nature and allowing the Spirit to continue to work on sanctifying this glorious relationship with Yeshua to be holy. Then we typically see believers step up in service, we see a change in the believer as the grace and peace brings comfort to their soul. They continue in this sanctification process. And some are called to even greater and different missionary efforts. But so often we stall along the way or just stop there. Yeshua wants us to be with him so much more. He wants you to trust him 100%. He wants you to have complete faith and comfort as the loving father that he is. He wants you to experience his grace and all his path 
that leads to peace. He is preparing us to be holy as he is holy. He is preparing a home for eternity, a new heaven and a new earth with no more evil. He calls us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. He wants you to be a light in this ever-growing darkness, to be a witness and a disciple. Yes, things don't look too good on earth today. But the Lion of Judah is in complete control. And when he comes back, he is going to roar. Biblical prophecy shows us many things. It shows us the past, it shows us the present, and it shows us the future. And ultimately, Yeshua's triumphant return of the day when we see evil snuffed out, the new heaven and earth, that he's preparing for his sheep that hear his voice. The point I want to make here is we don't know when that day is. We don't know if we'll see the great tribulation or not, nor do we know what day our own life will come to an end. We may have 40 years, we may have 60 years, we may live past 80 years, but one thing we do know, our life will come to an end. All we know for sure is what we can do right now, today, and maybe tomorrow. Folks, it's time to dump whatever baggage is holding you back from this relationship with the Lord. It's time to stop fooling around. It's time for single-minded focus on the king and his calling for us and his kingdom that is yet to come. Our soul clearly has two paths. We can either be spirit-led, following Yeshua, or we can be self-led or self-centered. In the world gone mad, you need to be a watchman and need to be cognizant of this self-led aspect that we all can fall victim to. Here's a test. Do you make decisions without praying and waiting to hear from the Lord? I don't know about you, but some of my greatest trials have come from me forging my own plans without first gaining confirmation from Yeshua. Sometimes I hear his voice with the greatest of clarity, and sometimes I just don't pause and wait for him. I have learned how stubborn I personally can be in this area. And lately, I've been making a much more concerted effort to seek him daily, trying not to repeat the mistakes I've made in the past. And during our men's retreat, our discussions that Jeff Clark, Jeff Beidle, and myself have collectively put together we're gonna focus on these daily practices that we all can use to draw closer to God and be spirit-filled. Let me ask this, do you constantly worry? Every day I talk to many people that are filled with worry and fear in these troubling times. In our current times, this is the enemy at work. Prophecy tells us this. And right now our enemy is working overtime. Let me ask this question. How much time are you spending on the internet? Is your phone on right now? Could you turn it off for just a couple of hours? Oh no, I might get a text or somebody might need to call me. Or do you need to check in just to satisfy what's now become an addiction? I wanna quote this from a book that I've read from, by Nicholas Carr. If you don't know Nicholas Carr, he was a finalist for a Nobel Prize. 
Nicholas Carr says this, I'll put it on the overhead, in the book entitled The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain. He says, I noticed the net was exerting much stronger and broader influence on me than my old PC ever had. It wasn't just that I was spending so much time staring into a computer, a computer screen. It wasn't just that so many of my habits and routines were changing as I became more accustomed to and dependent on the sites and services of the net. The very way my brain worked seemed to be changing. It was then that I began worrying about my inability to pay attention to one thing for more than a couple of minutes. At first, I figured the problem was a symptom of middle-aged mind rot. But my brain, I realized, wasn't just drifting. It was hungry. It was demanding to be fed the way the net fed it. And the more it was fed, the hungrier it became. Even when I was away from my computer, I yearned to check email, click links, do some Googling. I wanted to be connected to the internet. I sensed I was turning me into something like a high-speed data processing machine. I missed my old brain. The world is changing our habits and routines. Notice I said the world. We need to push back. Brethren, if you're spending more than 15 minutes a day on the news, X-22, rumble reports, conspiracy theories, politics, you need to stop. Our soul and our spirit is not designed to take in this 24 by 7 evil. It's not. And as Nicholas Carr wrote, he wants his old brain back. This activity will kill your mind. It will kill your spirit. It will ruin your peace. And it will cause anxiety and worry. Yeshua doesn't want you focused on all of this evil. He wants you to focus on the gospel. He tells us over and over, don't worry, trust me, I got you. Surely engaging in this behavior is not showing or loving Yeshua with all your mind. Because you're filling it with stuff that can't do any heavenly good. Ever hear the phrase, he or she is so heavenly focused they can be no earthly good? Ever hear that one? It's actually backwards. How can you be earthly good if you're not heavenly focused? <laughs> Let's look at James uh, 1, 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Ouch. Ever read that verse and relate and say, I think that's me. Another daily prayer that I ask God to help me with. Help me stay single-focused and single-minded. Every one of us needs to spend more time in God's word, more time in daily prayer, more time in listening for his voice. 
The gospel is loaded with good news. And here's what's at stake. Let's put up the next slide. On God's timeline, we're just a couple of grains of sand. But eternity is forever. It's time for us to focus on being under his wings, praising the king, because it's forever. The evil and bad news will one day be gone. David wrote this in his famous psalm, Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul within me is like a weaned child. Israel, wait for the Lord from this time on and forever. Now, I want to read an excerpt from the book that we are going to be studying, uh, Get Your Life Back, uh, by John Eldridge. I'll put this up on the overhead as well. Finding more of God, growing strong in soul and spirit, requires creating space in your day for God to intentionally put yourself in a place that allows you to draw upon and experience the healing power of life, of the life that God is filling you. Over the ages, serious followers of Yeshua have used stillness and quiet, worship, fasting, prayer, beautiful places, and a number of other exercises to drink deeply of the presence of God and untangle their soul from the world. The ongoing deluge of intriguing facts and commentary, scandal and crisis, generally, genuinely important guidance combined with the latest insider news from around the globe and our friends' personal lives gives the soul a medicated feeling of awareness, connection, and meaning. Really, it's the new Tower of Babel. The immediate access to every form of knowledge and groundbreaking information right there on our phones, every waking moment. It confuses the soul into an artificial meaning and purpose, all the while preventing genuine soul care and life with God. Who has time to read a book, read the scriptures, plant the garden? Let me say it again, because it's due to the social air that we breathe. What has become the normal daily consumption of input is numbing the soul with artificial meaning and purpose, while in fact the soul grows thinner and thinner through neglect, harmed by the very madness that passes for a progressive life. We are literally being forced into the shallows of our life. John goes on and says, I'm not scolding, I'm tossing a lifeline. Sincere followers of Yeshua in every age have faced very difficult decisions, usually at the point of tension where their life with and for God ran straight against the prevailing cultural norm. The new Tower of Babel is ours. We have always been strangers and aliens in the world. Insofar as our values seem so strange and bizarre to those around us, we're now faced with a series of decisions that are gonna make us look like freaks. Choices like fasting from social media, never bringing out our smartphones to any meal, conversation, or Bible study, 
cutting off our media intake so we can practice stillness every day. The good news here is we, we all actually have a choice. Unlike persecution, the things currently assaulting us are things we can choose not to participate in. John goes on, he says, the self-life hasn't given a thought about the return of Messiah Yeshua because it's totally focused on the here and now, making things work out now, and it's quietly angry when people suggest our hopes should be set on the life to come. Luke says this in verse, chapter 17, verse 33, whoever strives to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. I wanted to put up another uh, section in, in the book, uh, Getting Your Life Back. John also wrote this. He said, suppressed anger morphs into fear. Your rage is not a sign that something's wrong with you. There's something wrong with the world. We're often embarrassed by our anger, but it's simply proof that our hearts are aching for things to be right. I don't pretend to say this is easy. Your enemy is a powerful force, and he hates your love of God. He hates that you trust in him. So of course your faith has been assaulted over the story of your life. All the more reason to protect it like our life depends on it. Unplugging helps because the war on our attention, a daily barrage of input and media, the constant fire hose of stuff from Facebook, Twitter, Google, Yahoo, YouTube, plus the news and the texts you received and the email and memos at work, it wages war on our souls. And one of the immediate casualties is belief. We forget who we are. We forgot who God is. We forget what he has spoken to us. We forget we live in a world at war. The news rarely reports on the wonderful things God is doing in the world. Evil loves to make it seem like it's winning. And it can feel that way if you spend too much time online, pulling out to focus on Yeshua and fix our eyes on him is healing for our belief. We all need to be loved and there is no greater love that anyone can have for us than our creator who came and he died for our sins. Glad to see my oldest boy Norman here today. Says my wife Stacy was telling me a few weeks ago that Norman had asked her, where does dad get that work ethic? I was preparing this teaching for the men's retreat at the time, so I found it strange that Norman had asked this question to Stacy. It was something that I really never gave any thought to. I always thought it was just the way I'm wired, I guess. Or what I really thought was, I was surprised he said that because as I'm getting older, I feel it's more routine. I feel I'm tiring. I don't really feel like I have the drive that I used to. And I guess I tend to follow the same routines. So I suppose, but as I really asked God about this, I realized I had missing pieces of my own testimony that led up to the time when I came to that final decision and realized I needed Yeshua. This is why I asked you all to think and revisit your own testimony. And if I'd like, I'd like to share a shortened 
but edited piece of my own testimony that ultimately led me on the path to accepting Yeshua. When I grew up, I felt like I lived in a loving household as a young child. We were a very typical middle-class family. My dad, he was not wealthy. But my whole world changed when I was about eight years old. And I now realize I was much too young and vulnerable to understand what was going on when things went off the rails with my parents as they divorced. Up until that time, my mom often took me to Sunday school, Christian summer camps a couple of times. So from a young age, I believed in God. The best a child of that age could really believe without any guidance. But when my parents divorced, my mom left me and my two oldest sisters with my dad. My dad was a retired army veteran, which he never talked about. Though when I was about 20 years old, he showed me some of his medals, including five battle stars he received from being in five of the six major campaigns of World War II as a heavy artillery sergeant. Today, I'm sure my dad had so many scars and demons he had a battle with from this horrific experience, including those closing days when uh, he had to go and uh, actually be at Auschwitz and do some of the cleanup. My dad was a good man. However, I don't ever recall him telling me that he loved me. Though I believe that he did, he worked full time. So at the age of eight, I suppose I had to grow up in a hurry and for the most part, take care of myself. I had to do things by the age of 10 that most kids can't do today. My chores were expected to be done, not only my normal daily chores, but I had to mow our large lawn, I had to rake all the leaves, go to school, and I knew if I wanted anything extra, I had to earn it. I mowed other people's lawns for money at this age. And at 12, I had a very large paper route uh, to make more money that often took three to four hours after school. I continued on this relentless pursuit of taking care of myself that I suppose developed into this work ethic. In reality, it was a replacement for the wounds of feeling unloved, abandoned, and only I attitude can take care of myself, which was my belief well into my adult life as I continued on this relentless pursuit to be more successful. It was truly a self-led life where I trusted only in myself and not in God. It wasn't till the age of 35, 20, 26 years ago, that God rescued me from myself. The life I was living was so full of tasks and earthly rewards. I sacrificed my time from my family, all in the pursuit of earthly rewards. Since that decision point 26 years ago, however, it's been a much different journey. And I still continue to mess up along the way, but it's always his love and grace that keeps bringing me back that gives me the strength today to press on till the end. We all need to believe and to hope and trust only in him, especially in these times when we don't know if it's gonna continue the pattern of getting worse.
Now, I'm not saying hard work to provide for your family is a bad thing. I am saying the most important thing is to seek first the kingdom of God. It is the Lord that we must trust and allow him to lead our lives. Everything else is a foolish attempt of earthly treasures. In our teaching that's going to take place in the men's retreat, this verse also got my attention out of, the, uh, out of the same book, Get Your Life Back. He says, when we let self rule, it obscures our awareness of God, thwarts our ability to receive him, and the self-life is a tremendous burden to bear. For the self was never meant to be master. And when we make it so, we fall victim to a thousand heartaches, countless pressures to begin with, because life is now up to us. We are masters of our own destiny, and that's a crushing load. Fear and anxiety will certainly follow because we are on our own, and we know we can't control the future, not even for the next five minutes. The soul shakes and collapses under the weight of it all. Let me read one more, or I got two more verses and then we're going to close. Let's look at Matthew 6, uh, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow nor reap, or gather crops into barns, and yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not so much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry again, saying, what are we to eat? Or what are we to drink? Or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's look at Revelation 3.20. We actually have a group studying Revelation, so I pulled this verse out. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and him with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on the throne. Brethren, it's time for us to be single-minded focused. The Lion of Judah, the King of all kings, is asking you to hear his voice, to trust and follow him. Before I close this in prayer, I'm going to ask the elders and the deacons to come up with the worship team. I'm going to ask everyone that needs one-on-one -on -one prayer to come up. Prayer is our greatest avenue to restore our souls. 
If you don't ask God, how can you receive? And the self is real good about not being humble enough to ask God in prayer for help. And for the men here, if you're on the fence about coming to the men's retreat, which is two weeks away, come on. We all need 48 hours to drink in the beauty. We've been blessed to have a beautiful countryside. The campsite is just gorgeous with the lake out there. We have some great teachings prepared. The ladies are gonna cook some fantastic food for us. We're gonna have time to give worship, ironing, sharpening iron, and we're gonna praise the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cry out. Restore our souls. Guide us in the paths of righteousness for the sake of your name, Lord. Give us this single-minded focus and strength. Help guide our daily path in this world that's gone mad. Shabbat shalom.